0: Ultimate Escape is a family-friendly ministry that addresses sexuality. Some episodes may contain sensitive terms and subject matter, especially for younger children. Welcome to the Ultimate Escape podcast. I'm David Chenault. You know, we're living in a world and a culture where there are so many confusing messages about sexuality. Ultimate Escape strives to be a voice bringing truth about sex from a God-centered perspective. We want to thank you for being a part and your support in that endeavor. Remember, if you'd like any information about Ultimate Escape, its founders, Steve and Holly Holiday, or any of the good work that they do, you can find that all on the website, ultimateescape.org. You know, we all have things that we do every single day in our lives. Some of those things are routines like brushing our teeth or catching the evening news. Some of those things are habits that we do over time, like the way we go to work or maybe having a cup of coffee when we start out our morning. Some of those things, though, can be negative and turn into addictions. In today's episode, we're going to talk about those addictions, things that become problems in our lives we just can't shake free of, how they start, where they form, and, and if we're parents, how we can help our children to deal with those. So hello, Steve Holiday, with us in the studio today. Hey there. We've talked about lots of different issues. You've shared your story in the past. Uh, we have shared stories about other folks as well. Um, it seems like most of what you deal with Uh, besides being with a uh, sexual nature, sexual issues and things, often deals with addiction. The idea of doing something and not being able to stop or Mm -hmm. being captivated. What's the best definition of addiction?
1: Uh, I have a friend in recovery who said addiction is when you can't get enough of the very thing you hate. Uh, and I think Ooh, that's a, good. Yeah, from a practical standpoint, you know, non-clinical definition. I like that because you know I think people can grasp that, and it hits pretty hard. Um, from a clinical definition, uh, it's a, a maladaptive or a a, a bad relationship uh, with a mood-altering substance or behavior. And the mood-altering um, part is the key. In that's that? the key. That's the, that's you know part of well, it's it's the purpose for it. Uh, I'm feeling anxiety. Um, If we break the anxiety, okay, anxiety is a mental state. If I break that down to core emotion, uh, I'm I'm hurt, I'm sad, I'm lonely, uh, I'm fearful, I'm angry. There's some emotion that's uncomfortable. And so I want to escape that. Uh, It doesn't feel good. Right. So I find if I get lost in video games or if I binge watch on Netflix, go golf, get drunk, smoke pot, whatever. Right. Uh, Look at porn, chase a new romance. You know all kinds of things that take all that uh, uncomfortable emotion, and I'm escaped, and I'm feeling good, because if whether it's the excitement of the uh, phenylethylamine dump of new romance, the uh, infatuation stage, uh, dopamine release, uh, I got a coke in one hand, a bucket of popcorn in the other. I'm sitting in front of a screen watching a movie. Dopamine is you know being released in large amounts, and I'm all that lonely is gone. Yeah. Now, when I turn off the TV and I'm done eating, then it's back. Right. But for that period of time, it's gone. So what's the difference between addiction and habit? Uh, Good question. Addiction is on a continuum. Okay, if we want to look at one bookend of that continuum, uh, it's abstinence. I I have nothing to do with it. it. It's totally not in my picture. Other end of the continuum, addiction. Healthy medium, you got know, be a healthy relationship with it. So if it's food.
0: Because not cause some things, that's a real problem, is it? Some things are addictions that are negatives that shouldn't be in your life at all. Okay.
1: Uh, cocaine use.
0: Cocaine. <laughs> I was going to say meth, meth, yeah. cocaine, any kind of drug use like, mm-hmm. in that sense. Uh, but then there's other things like you just mentioned, food, food. Sex, yeah. Which we have and we consume on a daily basis or a regular basis, uh, and yet we can also fall into addiction with them as well.
1: So if, if we look, if, let's put it in the food context for a minute. If I don't ever eat anything, period. Uh, okay, that's not going to last long. I'm going to die. But that—that's an option. Uh, that's the anorexia side. I avoid. So you know, if, if, instead of abstinence, uh, the next step up might be avoidance, and and that's where the anorexia side mm-hmm. comes in. Healthy medium. You know, I, I eat. I eat. I enjoy eating. I, I eat when I'm hungry. I, and I don't overeat. Uh, then we get into let's let's say we uh, misuse. Uh, I overeat on occasion, or I eat junk food instead of a decent meal just because I'm in a hurry and don't have time, so there we go. Misuse can move forward to abuse. I abuse food. I overeat constantly. Uh, Emotionally, I get upset, and so I go and stop by a store and pick up, you know, 18 Little Debbie snacks and a 32-ounce Coke, and for the next 30 minutes, I'm driving down the road stuffing myself with all kinds of sugar. And then addiction, I can't not eat. I can't stop. Uh, I've passed 300 pounds. I've passed 400 pounds. I cannot say no to food. That's kind of, you know, Steve giving you an unofficial definition or description. But how do I know that this thing is an addiction and not just a, I'm making a bad choice or I've got a bad habit? Uh, well, bad habit and addiction there's there's space in between those two things. Hmm.
0: Because I think a lot of times people will assume that behavior is more along the lines of a bad habit than it is truly an addiction. And that's where you get people that say, well, just give it up or just stop. You need to make a decision and, and walk away from it.
1: A yeah, bad habit is I stop by Nukes eatery and get a slice of coconut cake every day on my way home. And then I recognize that, hey, I'm putting on some pounds. I should probably stop that you know, it's just, it's become a bad habit. Right. Uh, addiction is I promise myself I'm not going to do that again. And the next day I'm back there and then I eat that cake and man, I love that cake going down. <laughs> and as soon as I'm done eating that cake, I am bloated. I'm stuffed. I'm full. I'm angry at myself because I did that. I can't believe I did it. I don't want my wife to find out that I stopped by and grabbed a piece of cake on the way home and um, this thing is out of control, and I'm doing the same thing the next day and the next day, right? And th- th- now we're looking at the, some of the dynamics, sure, be there with addiction. Um, you know, preoccupation, I'm thinking about it constantly, right? Uh, again, I'm kind of putting this in the food. Let me, let me run with that nukes cake for a moment because <laughs> that, that has been an issue for me and uh, not that <laughs> far back, recent past. Um, I'm thinking about it, man. Like, whoa, when I get there this afternoon how, how that cake is going to taste and how am I going to get by there and do I have enough money in my pocket uh, what route do I need to take to go home to swing by a nuke so, so there's pre-planning here yeah uh, now the preoccupation can also be on the back end of that I'm, I'm feeling guilty and I'm ashamed and but, but it's, it's cloudy it's it's invading my thoughts okay? mm. There's preoccupation uh tolerance you know it used to be one piece of cake was great but now I need two um it used to be two pieces of cake just to, to Get a buzz and feel good, but now I need three. So, it, you know, it builds up a level, continues despite negative consequences. Man, I've put on ten pounds. And I've got to go buy new blue jeans, and so I swear I'll never do this again. Uh, but I keep doing it. And Now I've put on ten more pounds, and I've got to go two sizes up in my blue jeans, and I'm embarrassed uh, when people see me. And so, and, and the list goes on and on. Right. So th- those are a few of characteristics of addiction that one would look at and say, "Is this, is this a bad habit, or?" clinically do we see some things that hey this you know this really does look like addiction
0: when we're talking about parents and dealing with children is it the same things i mean some of those things are internal things that i really have to think about myself you know what is my state of mind and when i'm looking at my child That's a real hard thing to gauge sometimes. So how do I make that uh, jump? How do I decide, is this crossing the threshold? I'm seeing my kid do certain behaviors, or it appears that my kid is involved in certain behaviors. Uh, Is this crossing the line from habit or from just exploration to habit to, to addiction?
1: You know, if my child is telling me I feel bad about what I do and I've tried to stop, but I keep doing it. That's a big red flag. Sure, that says, "Hey, th- this is out of their control. They're trying to control it, and they can't. They need help." You know, it's tough when you're working with teenagers because how much of uh, what they think one moment is still going to be there five minutes later, let alone three days later. Mm-hmm. So you have a teenager who uh, feels a lot of guilt over, uh, let's say, they're they're sexting. Uh, they feel tremendous guilt over the fact that they asked this girl for a picture uh, or if it's a girl that they sent this picture uh, or here they are doing the same type of conversation and inappropriate you know, dialogue or inappropriate pictures uh, with yet another individual. And so they come to a parent and they confess and you know, there's a lot of crying tears and and I, I want help. I, I need to stop this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm concerned that they're going to show this to somebody else. What What's going to happen? Uh, so you have this big emotional moment. Well, tomorrow morning when they wake up, are they still going to regret what they've been doing? Or is it going to be hey new day and you know, I don't know why I said all that stuff last night, but I, I'm looking for somebody to do this with today. Typically with adults, if you're dealing with addiction, you can see the very same characteristic there of, you know, remorse, regret, despair. And then the next day or an hour later, they're back looking for the same thing. Uh, that should be saying addiction is a likely Right thing here uh, but with teenagers because they're just kind of back and forth and you know some some values maybe they're adopting for themselves others you know, I, I do this because my parents have always said that this is what I should do but I'm not really sure you know just like a, a faith journey I go to church because I've always grown up going to church right. and it feels like the right thing to do but you know six months from now am I still going to think it's the right thing to, they're trying to figure all this stuff out yeah um and so there's more volatility right. uh, in that when you're looking at teenagers.
0: And especially if their teenagers are not confessing to anything. I mean, if you have the, the added stress or the added component of a distant relationship to someone mm-hmm. who uh, maybe, maybe no fault of the parent, but that the teenager is a certain amount of distance from the parents and that dialogue is not uh, like it should be or not like it would ideally be, then you're really trying to put together the pieces of the puzzle.
1: Yeah. And teens are, you know, identity is such a difficult thing during those formation years where they're um you know kinda of distinguishing themselves from their parents. Uh who am I? Well, if I just got back from a devotional at church, I may feel really guilty for what I did and say I'm gonna stop. Then I go to school the next day and I'm around all my friends who think what what I'm doing is fine and I do it because they do it. All of a sudden now I don't have a problem with what I did. You know, which which mask is over my face at the moment. Uh, what identity am I wearing uh, mm. can have a can play a large part in um whether they're trying to stop something or not. So
0: when the when the student comes to you or even as an adult and you say, look, I know I'm in this. I'm I'm trapped in this. I feel trapped. What do I do? How do I how do I where do we go from there?
1: Um you know, from a um a pastoral counseling perspective, there's some history that I want to get. I want to wrap my brain around, you know, what's their journey been? um when did this start how long has it been going on how often is the struggle uh, you know what are the different acting out behaviors cuz there's a host of different behaviors that can be involved when we're talking about sexual struggles or addictive sexual behavior uh, is this you know fantasy uh is there compulsive masturbation involved is there pornography use uh, is there sexting going on is there you know contact with other people via you know some Electronic forum, whether that's a, a chat room, um, Skype, some of the you know, 500 apps out there that teens can use to connect with or, or adults can use, too. But talking about teenagers right now, they use to connect. Uh, is there oral sex involved? Um, is, is there sexual intercourse involved? I mean, so many different acting out behaviors. So what are the behaviors that they're dealing with? Uh, because it can, you know, it can just involve behavior with self. Uh, Or it can involve multiple partners on a frequent basis. Uh, And at the core, it's still the same thing. Mm. It just presents itself differently. Stereotypically, there are some gender differences. Females are more relationship-driven, or at least uh, historically have been. And so acting out behaviors tend to be more relationally focused, um, something that involves another person. So there's texting going on, uh, a chat room, a relationship, but it's a... They and another individual are involved. Uh, guys, stereotypically, are pretty visually oriented. And so, didn't have to involve another person, certainly not another live individual. Uh, just give me something to look at and then act out. And so, there there may or may not be another person connected in that. Right. Uh, now, obviously, there are exceptions. Uh, to that. But as a general rule, that's, that's kind of a stereotypical pattern.
0: And this is kind of what got you involved in Ultimate Escape to begin with because although there's lots of resources and lots of uh, programs, lots of uh, help for folks, for adults who are trapped in any kind of addiction, be it drug, alcohol, or sexual issues, mm-hmm. uh, when you start looking at teenagers, I mean, we, we think of addiction often as an adult problem. Mm-hmm. And yet uh, yet, our teenagers... Even our pre-teens are dealing with addiction a lot of times.
1: In 2004, when Ultimate Escape started, there were practically no resources around uh, for helping with teens. There you know, one or two things that I ran across, but pr- practically nothing available. Now there are more and more uh, places that are you know providing residential treatment, uh, especially for teenage guys dealing with sexual addiction uh there are some programs out there specifically for teens who are trying to overcome uh, addictive sexual behaviors uh, but yeah back at that time there was just nothing out there
0: when a when when a, a student who says i'm dealing with this what do I, what what can i do mm-hmm. uh, or a parent says i'm suspecting this what's
1: where do they go okay what um understand the history figure out exactly what are we looking at mm-hmm. because um, if we have a few pieces of the puzzle but there are other important pieces that haven't been revealed uh, that may affect what direction someone needs to go. So try to get the the full picture.
0: Now, Is this the parent that tries to do do this on at the beginning, or uh, should they seek out some pastoral
1: counseling, a professional counseling? Or? Sometimes it is a parent, and a lot of this depends on relationship that a young person has with their parent. There mm-hmm. are some uh, relationships that you know teens feel very safe, and the parent is the first person they go and talk to, and so that's you know the parent is the one who's on the front line trying to help walk through this. Uh, sometimes it's a youth pastor, a youth volunteer. You know, a teenager feels more comfortable talking to their youth minister than they do talking to a parent sometimes it's a mentor frequently it's a peer although i highly discourage teens from going to peers and sharing this type of struggle that, you know find somebody who's got more maturity who's you know more capable of handling that type of information than let me go to a friend who oh, feels comfortable going to them but that that's Likely not the healthiest relationship mm. to do that. So, okay, whether it's parent, youth, volunteer, whoever, try to get an accurate picture of what's going on. Uh, and then depending on which, where we want to start, because this is a multifaceted issue. Okay, there is a spiritual component for sure. We're talking about sexual behavior that's inappropriate. Hey, that that's, that's a spiritual issue. But we're not just spiritual beings. So we need to address the behavioral side of this, but it's also connected to an emotion. And there certainly is a mental Aspect, you know, it's involves our thoughts and our beliefs. It's relationally oriented or affects relationship. We got these five different areas that are all affected by this. We got to start somewhere. Let's say we're having that spiritual conversation uh, and talking about forgiveness and God's plan and you know the appropriate use of sexuality in a way that honors God. And to go beyond that, too, let's let's deal with the behavior. Um, If there's a behavior you're struggling with and you want to stop then obviously we're gonna have to look at, you know, when are you acting out? Uh, are there triggers? What I mean, what's starting this process? Uh, and if, especially if somebody has been doing this for several months or a year or, or several years, uh, there's probably a pretty predictable ritual, a pattern of behavior. Uh, there's a trigger that starts it. And then once that trigger hits, you know, it's I do this and then I do this and I do this and then I act out. And it may be a ritual that lasts for a minute or two. It may be a ritual that takes weeks to play out. Um, but you want to get a good idea of, you know, what is the, the typical pattern of behavior? It's like you got a line of dominoes. Okay, somebody knocks over the first domino, and then you've got two, three, four, five, you know, however many there are. Right. Finally, the last one falls over. Mm-hmm. Okay, if the goal is to make the last one not fall over. Let me see the pattern, and where in that pattern can I insert a block uh, or something that's going to keep the next one from falling over? Obviously, the further I go back up that line, closer to the first one, the more likely I'm going to be successful in keeping the last one from ball over. So triggers, rituals, um, you know, what changes in behavior can I make? If it's involving a cell phone, and I typically do that after I go to bed at night or in the privacy of my room in the evening, okay, a behavioral step, I probably don't need to have a cell phone in my bedroom. Now, that doesn't mean I can't do it somewhere else, but if my struggle, if if I'm trying not to do it, but the time that I slip up and do it is in my bedroom with my cell phone, okay, then boundary. I don't take a cell phone to my bedroom. Now that's not going to stop what's driving me to do it, but it can be a helpful step to deal with the behavior side Mm -hmm. for any long-term success. What's really driving this. So again, we go back to that definition of addiction, mood altering. Okay. What am I escaping from? What mood is being changed? Uh, if I want to go from, you know, kind of the, the logical mindset, uh, am I bored? Uh, am I frustrated? Am I upset? Uh, am I anxious? Okay, Take that to the deeper level of core emotions. Uh, am I lonely? Am I afraid? Uh, am I sad? Am I hurt? Um, am I feeling shame? Okay, what what's driving this? What am mm-hmm. I trying to detach or escape? If I can ever correctly label that, depending on what emotion that is, that's going to, you know, each one of those is going to take a different path on what I do. Because how I deal with lonely is very different than how I deal with anger mm. uh, or how I deal with hurt. On the, the mental side of that, you know, to go for a scripture for a moment, uh, taking every thought captive. Hey, when a sexual trigger hits, I, I sure don't want to insert more guilt here. Um, so I don't want to try to beat myself up as a parent, a youth volunteer. I don't want to beat this teenager up because they're having struggle and certainly don't want to attach guilt or pair guilt with sexual thought because there's no need to feel guilty for experiencing sexual arousal, sexual, sexual thoughts. I and mean, that's the way God wired us. And obviously in the culture we live in there, there are a host of <laughs> triggers out there, Right, I mean, right. I mean, whether you're a teen or a teen or an adult, uh, you're going to get triggered every day mm. just because of the culture we live in. So, but how do I handle that? So what's the mental process of recognizing, Hey, the, the sexual energy inside of me just got awoken. And so something triggered my sexual response system. Now, how do I mentally step in and take control uh, and do that in a healthy way? That's not saying, Oh, I feel so bad that you know I'm, I'm a horrible person and God's upset with me because I'm having these thoughts. Mm. No, let's take that back to, Hey, you know, my brain is wired a certain way. And when I see or hear certain things, it, it's going to, you know, hormones are released and neurochemicals start being dumped in my brain. And all this is a, it's an okay because God designed it to work this way. But I want to take this moment and I want to start walking this in the direction that it needs to go and not become a slave to the feelings that that are aroused inside me. Right. So, okay, uh, here's what I'm thinking right now. And here's why I'm thinking that here's what I want to do, but I know that's not the best thing to do. And I know if I do, and so I just start bringing in as much truth as possible to, to flood truth into this moment. If I, if I do this, like I have the last 50 times I'll, I'll feel pleasure and then I'm going to feel guilt. I'm going to feel shameful and I'm going to regret what I did and I'll be right back in the same position that I was yesterday. So to keep from being stuck in that place right now, here's a different path that I need to take. And so it, it again, it's a, it's a mental process, right? By the time we're done with dealing with all these different dimensions, hopefully we're putting together a plan that's uh, comprehensive and is a healthy plan and actually may may lead to success as opposed to I'm just white knuckling. You know, there's that term uh, just trying to sheer control. It's right. just willpower. Right. Uh, I just, hey, I know that's wrong and I'm not going to try to do the, or I'm going to try to not do the wrong thing. And I've got nothing going but. Sheer motivation and willpower. Sure, sure. It may last for a short time, but it wears off. <laughs>
0: well, I, I, and and you address the underlying issue. There's always an underlying issue that's underpinning this whole problem. How easy is it to get at that on your own? I mean, is that something that really does take some sharing and talking and talking through and letting someone else uh, cast a perspective on it? Or
1: my my experience is that having other people to help notice things, share observations, help us see past our blind spots who are not emotionally connected to the process uh, is a extremely helpful thing. Yeah. All of us recognize certain things about ourselves, And then there are other things about us that are, that we're blind to. Um, and it's, you know, it doesn't matter if teenager or an adult, right. although I think during teenage years, it, it, it's probably, we're, we're more blind to things than maybe we are with maturity and experience and you know, listening to other people share observations about us. right. So it's, it certainly is not an easy thing to do on your own. I don't know that many people really can. Uh, You may get some ideas and and be successful, but there may be other things that we miss. And
0: without identifying those underlying issues, you're not very far down the road. Blind, blind. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's difficult to, Mm -hmm. to, to truly understand why you're doing what you're doing.
1: Success rates. I mean, are we, are we, I mean, how successful can people be? To me, that depends on how far in they go in trying to do something different or get better mm. um and you know, I have clients who come from just terribly um disruptive backgrounds with their sexuality i mean you know their acting out behaviors that have caused all kinds of problems uh, it's created issues between the the teenager and the parents uh it's It's you know resulted in tremendous shame and guilt for the teenager feeling of helplessness uh I'll never be able to stop. Uh, I hate myself. I cry myself to sleep at night. Uh, I I feel like God hates me. I mean, they're coming from from that place of brokenness, and they're looking for things to be different, and they experience great success. I also have other teens who they're coming because their parents are making them come in, and yeah, they know that what they're doing is probably not great, but they're not convinced it's really a big deal, and they're not really looking at what life is going to look like five, 10 years down the road. They're just dealing with how it feels today. Um, and there's not a lot of success when somebody doesn't have any buy-in or really want something to be different. So I think a lot of that depends on the individual and then it depends on the resources. I've mm-hmm. got an individual who really wants to change, but they don't have access to any kind of, um, network of support that's going to help them through that. And so there, there's no long-term success. I think the best case scenario to me, you've got a a young person who recognizes what they're doing is causing problems and they need to stop and they want to stop. And they're looking for help from individuals who are mature and healthy and will come alongside them without shaming them uh, and be supportive as they try to make changes. Mm. Um, in that scenario, I think you've got some of the the best indicators for long-term success. I know there are a number of professionals uh, who look at, teens and sexuality and, you know, porn use and sexting and, oh, that's just, that's just kids being kids. And it's easy to just minimize the effect of that. And uh, it's, it's no big deal. I have a file full of client files with consequence after consequence. And the people that I work with uh, would argue very strongly, no, it's a big deal and it's wrecking my life. It's a problem.
0: A problem that extends well into adulthood and beyond.
1: Absolutely. If it's not dealt with, it just continues. Consequences get bigger and bigger. Uh, Interesting. I worked with a client uh, several years ago, 16-year-old, a lot of sexting. Uh, Just just compulsive daily, multiple people a day sexting. Didn't really see it as a problem. Didn't really engage working with it, even though parents really wanted them to. Um, Several years went by, got a phone call. You know, this kid's now college age and doing life more on his own, and is looking for help now because he recognizes he's got a problem and it needs to stop. And you know, it's amazing what a few years and some maturity does in a in a perception.
0: Where does the spiritual component come in in all this? Because we've talked a little bit about that, and you mentioned you know there's multiple components here. What the person who says, "Look, all you need's God. Mm-hmm. Let the Holy Spirit dwell in you, and everything will be fine." and and one hand, there's great power in the Spirit and God, and and same and,
1: power that raised Jesus from the dead is active and alive in us.
0: At, yeah. But at the same time, that's one component of the whole process. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? I mean,
1: it is, and depending on how healthy the spiritual perspective is, you know, some people their their spiritual perspective is God's angry at you for what you're doing, and you better stop or you're going to hell. Or internalize that you know you got a a teenager who feels like hey what I've done is horrible awful God couldn't possibly love me mm. uh, God sees me and just wants to spit and I am I'm completely worthless now I'm just describing myself at you know age fourteen not a very healthy perspective on who God actually is you know what God can do in my life or what God wants to do in my life and and so if somebody has a an accurate understanding of God. Uh, and recognizes that they are deeply loved and nobody on the planet is more valuable to God than they are. Now, every other person on the planet is equally as valuable, but nobody is more valuable than they are. That's a much healthier place to start and to recognize, hey, sex is a good thing, not a bad, dirty thing, but I need to get my sexual behavior in line with what God wants for me. I think that's a healthy perspective to have, which is much better than, oh, I'm horrible, awful, and if I don't get this right, You know, I'm going to go burn in hell. Right. Uh, I think that's a pretty unhealthy perspective to bring in from a spiritual perspective.
0: Okay. So one last thing before we wrap it up, let's talk worst case scenario. Uh, The parent who has a more mature teenager, 17, 16, 17 years old, pretty certain that teenager's already sexually active on a regular basis. Not sure exactly to what degree they're remorseful for what's going on, or even recognize the danger that they've placed themselves mm-hmm. in. But obviously, are acting out in in multiple ways, either promiscuity or some compulsive behaviors or whatever. And just doesn't even know where to start. I mean, I mean, doesn't even have a clue of what how to even start a conversation mm-hmm. with. What do they do? Where do they go?
1: That's where I to me, you bring in somebody a neutral third party that. Uh, both individuals can be comfortable in the presence. So if that's a, you know, a, a pastor, uh a family friend that the teenager knows and has respect for, but bring that third party in and just have conversation. Uh, as a parent, I'm, I'm, hey, here are the things that I see. Here are facts that I know here may be things I suspect or wonder about. Uh, and here's my concern and here's why I'm concerned. Now let me listen, because I've just shared with you what's going on in me. Now I want to be quiet and listen, and what do you have to share with me? And best case scenario, teenager can be honest, uh, or at least as close to honest as possible, and they share, here's what's going on and here's how I feel, and then you, you have at least a better idea of where do we go from here. Right. Uh, are we on the same page? Are we on completely different planets? But I would I would start with if I can't have a non-confrontational conversation, and confrontational... If I can't have a calm, safe, loving conversation with my young person, then let me turn to somebody who can help us have that conversation. Facilitate it in some mm-hmm. way.
0: And by the same token, the the student who says, no way in the world that my parents, gonna <laughs> they're going to flip out mm-hmm. if I say anything about this. Uh, and yet... I am racked with guilt. I know this is, or, or, or I've gotten myself in a situation that I recognize now the danger that I put myself mm-hmm. in. Um, and I just can't get out of it. Same advice. I need to
1: talk to somebody who, yeah. who can't, if I can't talk to this person or that person, who could I talk to? And what I would explore with a teenager is what's your expectation? If you share this with your parent, how do you think they're going to respond? What does that look like? Have you ever seen them respond like that before? Because there's either a it's a well-deserved expectation or it's a uh, a false expectation. Oh no, I well, know they've they've never acted like that before. But if I told them this, they would. Maybe I've got a false expectation. Oh yeah, they act they they respond like that when I you know make a a C on a test. Okay, well then it's maybe a fair expectation that they're going to blow up. And if they blow up at a C on a test, I can't fathom what that teenager thinks it's going to look like. If they come with, I've got this sexual background or I'm struggling with this. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so again, as parents, sometimes we need to look in a mirror and say, okay, have I demonstrated to my teenager that I'm a safe person to come to with a problem? Or is my track record more of I'm a scary person to come to with a problem and and it's reasonable that they view me that way?
0: Which kind of brings us full circle, the whole idea that before I can, and we've said this in other discussions that we've had as well, before I can really effectively or most effectively help my child through whatever issues that they're having, I really need to be prepared to make sure I'm on the right track myself. Mm-hmm. I've had that conversation with myself or with my spouse or that, that I'm prepared for that before in a healthy way help my kids as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to stop us from doing that, because uh, not doing anything, that can also freeze us, I guess, uh, scare us into non-action.
1: And and my best first step might be an honest confession to my teenager. Hey, the more i thought about it, I recognize that I don't have a very good history. These are my clinical terms. Your parents going to use different words, I'm sure. Um, but I don't have a very good track record of responding to you well when a problem comes up. Mm. Uh, and I see that now and I haven't noticed that in the past. I I see it now. Number one, I need to apologize for that. Uh, that's not your fault. That's on me. And my commitment is to try to do much better. Um, and so in the future, here's what I want you to be able to see from me or here's, here's how I want to respond. I want to listen. I don't want to jump to, you don't want to make judgments. I don't want to fill in blanks. Uh, I want to listen and make sure that I'm hearing you before I respond. Um, and my my plan is to not make it about punishment and not make it about me, but make it about trying to help you be able to be successful. Uh, I'm sure that there are a whole lot of teenagers that would probably pass out <laughs> if they heard their parents come to them uh, right. and, and basically communicate that. Yeah. But it might be a great place for a relationship to start over.
0: Yeah. The beginning of trust. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure.
0: Appreciate it. That's going to do it for us here at the Ultimate Escape Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you have any feedback, if you'd like to let us know what you'd like to hear talked about, send us an email, podcast at ultimateescape.com. Org. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Ultimate Escape podcast on both Android and Apple platforms, both iTunes and the Google Play Music Store. Simply search for Ultimate Escape and click on subscribe. It'll be delivered to your device automatically every time we upload a new episode. You've been listening to the Ultimate Escape podcast. I'm David Chennault. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.